pitchfork Pushing all those sex crops up from the dirty ground How'd you get that fat lip? Old war wound X up around morons Is this, are we in? This is Miller's Crossing. We're in. Welcome to... Coen Brothers Brothers. Comedy Bang Bang. No, sorry. Wait. What? You were right. I was right. The thing you said. Why are, why are you... This is not a bit. Coen Brothers Brothers. I'm Abe Epperson. I'm Michael Swaim. We co-host. are the brothers of the Coen Brothers. We're just two mining brothers. Just two Miller's brothers. It's just two... Oh my God. It's, this show's just two brothers. Just two brothers. It's just two brothers. It's just two brothers. <laughs> uh, uh, so we're coming back after Raising Arizona. And of course, in 1990, they went to the Miller's Crossing, which is a fantastic film. I mean, that's what this show is going to be about mainly is that we love the Coen Brothers and... Ha ha ha, my friend. Really? Okay, cuz. I want to say this is the first one Brothers, we've hit. Not cuz. That, true. True dad, bruv. True, bruv. Bruv. But uh, I, I appreciated it a lot more when I put more effort into watching it for the purposes of this podcast and really sussed through the symbolism and the structure and the ojimbo-ness of it all. But mm-hmm. I never considered this a jewel in their crown. It's not my favorite one to watch, which on the Coen Brothers scale doesn't mean it's not engaging. It's incredibly engaging the whole time. You're saying subpar Coen Brothers. Good movie, subpar Coen Brothers. I feel that way, and I'm wondering if you do or don't. I don't. I think it's okay. a fucking jewel in their crown. <laughs> right, okay. It's, uh, it's such a... I mean, there's so many of them, obviously, right. but this one is so important to me because it's, in a way... To me, Blood Simple was like they're on deck mm-hmm. and they knocked it out of the park somehow still. And the batter up was Raising Arizona. This is them working within an institution where they're now like, here's the third thing. So we worked as independent filmmakers, one. Two, we made our own artistic tour movie. Three, we're working in the studio system and we're still fucking killing it. So it's like the three types of movies that they actually make, this is the third one, and they still fucking kill it. Because it's a transparent film, and by transparent I mean like, you don't feel the footprint as much of the Coen brothers right. as versus like Raising Arizona Lebowski, or Hudsucker. Hudsucker, yeah. you're uh, like, Coen brothers style is blasting you in the face. Yeah. And that's the, those are the ones I like. Those are my favorite. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is them showing they can do a studio film right out of the gate. And they've done several studio films. And they did, and it's a story genre, not so much these days, but certainly in that era, mafia movie. It's like, yeah. okay, let's, let's... It's a gangster film. Let's buckle down and do a thing that is a time-honored tradition and show we can do it well, and right. it's subdued. Right. Um, visually subdued, I mean. The plot is bonkers. but uh, I, It's kind of, of Big lebowski It's incredibly or complex or Lebowski-ish. Arrested Development-esque. Um, <laughs> because I'll admit, the first couple times I saw it, I didn't fully understand every little wrinkle of the plan, and now I do. Yeah. Which is a good segue into our first spectra. We always analyze these films through three spectra. And the first will be diegesis. What happened in the movie? What's the movie about? We've already alluded to the fact that it's yeah. about mobsters. And just to signpost, the next thing we'll talk about after that is yes. how do you do that? No, pedagogy. Pedagogy. And then how Where do we do talk that? about symbolism. Exactly. And how do you do that if there's any outstanding things that we haven't talked about regarding right. the 
filmmaking itself. Or just mind-blowing factoids, yeah. yeah. Um, this is technically, you know, divergent, but it's so interesting what you said about the one, two, three, because it just makes me realize that Barton Fink is a movie about the studio system, yep. but the movie itself is totally not a studio movie. Right. Which yeah. will be next episode. Right, so we can't talk about it, but the pattern's there. Um, <laughs> so this is a mob movie. It's loosely based on a Dashiell Hammett novel called Red Harvest. Yeah. And they love Dashiell Hammett. And, and they it was a flop. Detectives. This flopped. This, uh, the budget was $14 million and the box office was $5 million. <sighs> We gave him the hi-hat. They gave him the hi-hat. <laughs> the it box John office let Polito him go. Playing Johnny Casper, would say. Yeah, so who do we got in here? Uh, Gabriel Byrne as Tom Regan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcia Gay Harden as Verna. Uh, Albert Finney. Woo! <laughs> Leo. John Turturro. In yes. perhaps his best role, Bernie in my Bernbaum. opinion, as Bernie. Uh, John Better Cleo's. than his role in O Brother. <sighs> Topic don't, for another don't day. Make me, don't Great. make me have have them fight. Don't you know? make me choose my Tatoros. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just this one, like that one's a comedy, and he kills it. Right. This one is like a heart wrenching performance that only a few actors have really touched. Much like Blood Simple, if you listen to that episode. There is a sequence in this that became the legendary yeah. sequence, and we'll get to it. And it's Taturo just yeah. owning everyone. <laughs> uh, J.E. Freeman as Eddie Dane and Steve Buscemi as Mink. Buscemi? Buscemi. I think it's Buscemi. You're probably right. As Mink. Yeah. yeah. All right. So to give a broad overview, what it's going to be is a multi-layered thing. Okay. So there's the Irish mob and the Italian mob, and they're warring. Yes. And we follow the leaders of those two mobs and their consigliaries, basically. Yeah. And it's just a game. It's If you're familiar with Yojimbo, which is the classic Kurosawa movie where a dude rolls into town, sees that there's two factions, and plays them against each other, and then blows out of town. It's a slight permutation on that. That Be- was a samurai film. Fistful right. of Dollars is a Western. This is the noir version of that. Yes. Um, and, of course, it's not identical because no uh, Gabriel Byrne's character, Tommy? Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, who's our central character, has a vested interest in one side. But you, the audience, are not sure until the very end what his intentions were. Right. And it sort of becomes revealed that he always had everything in hand and it was a crazy sequence of strategies. And typically in both the case of Ujimbo and Fistful, I think our protagonists, like how they update that story in this one is that uh, those stories are about tales of how, like, how badass your protagonist is mm-hmm. at effectively like constitution checks and diplomacy checks throughout the fucking film. And it's about survival. Like the, the main goal is to survive, which is also Tommy's goal. Right. But he's, as you'll probably talk about, and even from the get go, an immensely flawed human being. And the way they, I think, update it is that he doesn't even know why he needs to survive. Right. And the we'll get into it real deep. And I think the pedagogy spectrum of this film well, is off the charts good. And so act two. <laughs> I guess where it falls down to me, it doesn't fall down, but I'm just saying the diegesis is basically just a very well-woven sequence of maneuvers. Yeah. And like your Jimbo or Fistful. So the maneuvers are this, and we probably can't go into every tiny detail because there's a lot of like double crossing and whatnot. But Gabriel Byrne, Tommy, mm-hmm. is a very loyal consigliere to Albert Finney, who's the head of the Irish Leo. mob. And the Irish mob is waning 
while the Italian mob is waxing in With power. Johnny. So you got Leo versus Johnny and... Johnny Casper, who's T- most Tommy. often referred to as Casper. Casper, yeah. And you got Tommy, who's the right-hand man of Leo, and over the span of the movie, flips. Yeah. And if you know Godfather, he's his consigliere, meaning he's his friend who advises yeah. him and is just always there hanging out. He's also <laughs> in a relationship with Verna, who is the, I guess, fiance by the end by of act the film two, she, of Leo. Gone. So he yeah. is literally having sex with the woman that his main, the guy he starts with. Leo. Ah, so here's the rub, right? Yeah. And this is the initial predicament our guy finds himself in is. And here's the tiny technical detail that starts all the events. Johnny Casper has a fixed fight mm-hmm. that he always wins at. That's He does it once a month, and it's his routine. Yeah. Well, the way a fixed fight works is, uh, if you understand gambling, the more people who know about it, the less the fix gives you obscene profits because yeah. it dilutes the odds to the point where, oh, if everyone knows it's fixed, then the bet is no longer a long shot. It's not lucrative. It's no longer lucrative. He feels that his fixed fights that he personally fixed so he knows they're fixed, he's winning, but he should be winning more. And his suspicion is one of the bookies involved is selling the information that the fight is fixed to schmoes or friends, you know, being Mm -hmm. like, hey, I got an angle. This gangster fixed this fight. You can bet on it, too. And he's saying, no, that's disrespectful to my fix. I put the fix in. That's my property as a mob boss. So everyone's got an uncle. (laughs) Here's the thing. Without any proof, he assumes Bernie Birnbaum, who is a bookie in town played by John Turturro, is the one doing it. And the reason he assumes that is because Bernie happens to be gay and Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of like epithets in this that I'm not going to repeat. Schmada is antiquated enough that you kind of can. Yeah. They call him the Schmada all the time. I had to look it up. It means like a ragged piece of clothing that's falling off your bones so Mm -hmm. it's obviously like uh offensive slang for jews at the time yeah um so because he's like jewish and gay the guy's like it must be him he has no principles you know he's corrupt inside and but bernie birnbaum belongs to albert finney and leo albert finney says no you don't have any proof you can't kill my guy casper just wants permission to kill this guy Mm -hmm. and he says no and Casper says, then I'll go to war, overthrow you, and destroy you and become the new head mafia guy. And basically the pickle our hero is in is he says, Leo, you got to admit that you're not going to win this war. This guy's power is rising. Yours is falling. You should let him kill Bernie Birnbaum. There's three lines of dialogue that in that the, the, fin- the last three lines of that scene in Leo's office, uh, some brilliant sc- like screenwriting. Uh, yeah. Tom. Think about what protecting Bernie gets us. Think about what offending Casper loses us. Leo, oh, come on, Tommy. You, don't, you know I don't like to think. Tom, yeah, well, think about whether you should start. Yeah, think about whether you should start thinking. Yeah. Uh, in that same scene, and this will come back, I actually think Casper's, this is in sort of Casper's pedagogy, he has this underlying symbolic arc arc of representing the honorable thief the existence of an honorable thief or who believes that honor could exist in that situation so he says it's getting so the businessman can't affect can't expect a return on a fixed fight if you can't trust a fix what can you trust this is a matter of character ethics Ethics. yeah (laughs) Yeah. he mentions ethics three times and he's a mass murdering mobster yeah yeah yeah. but ethics is very important bad father who slaps his son 
Yeah. Uh, even though <laughs> son's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, um, other, other just great lines from that scene. Uh, so you want to kill Bernie? Yeah, for starters. <laughs> and then when he says no, Casper says his favorite catchphrase. You're giving me the, the hi-hat. Hat. And Leo says what I think is an even better response. You know what? Take your flunky and dangle. <laughs> Yeah. There's so much archaic language and slang. I'm such a big fan of slang. The Coens, obviously, throughout their whole career, yeah. uh, oh, I think more than most screenwriters yeah. will take inspiration from a dialect choice. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and they don't care if it's accurate. Like people in Raising Arizona famously said, what are all these crazy Southern accents? No one from Arizona sounds like any of these characters. And right. they were like... Right, it was an artistic choice that everyone in our fictive world has a unique dialect because that's a heart of a lot of our scripts is the dialect. Right, right. And so most, like, ha-ha, you got a lip on you. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not that, like, you don't have to know the slang. They're not beating over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. It, like, you understand what it is. You've heard that. But just like Verna saying, what are you chewing over? You know, like, yeah. yeah, I know what that means. No one in my life ever says right. chewing to mean, like, like, pondering. Wake up, Tommy. I am awake. Your eyes are shut. Who are you going to believe? <laughs> Who are you going to believe? Um, so getting back to his central predicament, though, the reason Leo won't let Bernie be killed, which would solve all his problems, is because Bernie is Verna's brother. Yes. If you can believe it or not, Bernie Birnbaum and Werner Birnbaum. <laughs> and just two siblings. Two Leo, siblings. she's this young, beautiful, vivacious woman that loves Leo. Or does she, right? Because she is sleeping with this rich older mobster in exchange mm. in some way for him to protect her brother at all costs. Right. So it is wholly unclear. But of course she says, no, but I also like him. What's wrong with me wanting to protect my brother and I can have sex with whoever I want. Like, you know, but Gabriel Byrne, who's also having sex with her, this is where the mind fuck begins, is like, but you're having sex with me. So I know for a fact, because I am betraying Leo, yeah. that Leo's getting played. Then he goes into the next room and advises Leo, you're getting played, dude. But he can't admit that he knows he's getting played because he's the guy playing him. He also calls both of them more or less grifters. Like, they just whatever uh the burn bombs like whatever town they're in they just they can't help themselves they need to just make a buck right like, they need to like in terms of um which is a big thesis of this film which is just like every friend someone's like we're friends we're friends uh it actually kind of means like we're friends now but we're enemies later and mm -hmm. like no one's truly friends and uh, so they're all grifters, but like Tommy like comes down hard on Vernon about how Bernie is a like he's just trying to get an extra buck Tommy, at any time. Tommy constantly projects his own self-loathing, which is onto what he the does. People around him, it's a repeated tactic for him, yeah. right? Like he goes to Leo and goes like, "You're being a fucking idiot," and you know that he's telling that to himself. Because right. he's like loyal to Leo and he's like, why am I doing this? And he'll have sex with Verna and then call Verna a whore for betraying Leo. And it's like, dude, you're talking to yourself. Yeah. He's, uh, he can't, and Tommy ultimately, the problem that propels, it's like an eternal struggle. Mm -hmm. Like this movie has superfluous random 
like circumstance, like in most noirs, mm-hmm. uh, where he does have he's a man with a plan. He's trying to do things, but serendipitously, things happen to him, and he just adjusts. Adjusts the plan, which yeah. is a Coen Brothers, you know, like thing in their hat. It's not like Ocean's Eleven where nothing ever complicates the plan. Right. The plan evolves as challenges yeah. arise. So yeah. he has a plan, but he also is a principled man, he says. Uh, and so he believes that he, he, there's two types of people, people with plans and people who have principles. And the problem is that he doesn't know which one he is. He says he's Until a principled the end of the person, film. but he has a plan and he wants to get out of his situation and still wear his hat, so to speak, which is kind of a... Right. Yeah. So uh, his A goal is loyalty to Leo. Yeah. And he does feel that it's a principle. And we see that principle hold up to challenges when it shouldn't. Right. And a good example is the very next sequence is Casper getting him pulled off the street separately to have a private meeting and go, look, I know you're smart. I know that we all know Leo's just doing this for this dame. Like, why don't... I'm going to go to war and like, I don't want that. It costs right. me money. Dozens of my guys will die and dozens of your guys will die, but I will go to war over this. Right. And he goes, what about I cut you a check for a hundred grand right now? You tell me where Bernie is and you just take that secret to your grave. Don't tell no. Leo you told me. Yeah. And he says, and if you say no, my guys are going to beat the shit out of you right now. Right. And even though he just came from Leo's office where he advised Leo that that is exactly what they should do, he can't do it because the offer is without Leo's consent. Right. His principle is like, well, I wish I could do that, but that's not the game. That's so not the rules of the game I they play. they come in and try to beat the shit out of him, and yeah. he hits one with the chair, and I love that little moment. That's yeah, what Coen yeah, Brothers that are so is good great. about. That scene is so good, and when he hits him with the chair, and he goes, Jesus, Tommy. Well, just to set up, so yeah, so he says no, and Casper goes, all right, and, two, and uh, one goon comes out. Yeah. And Tommy just takes off his I think coat. It's Frankie, or yeah, looking like he's gonna fight, but then at the last second he wallops the guy in the face with the chair. Yeah. Who, by the way, uh, Tom never throws a punch in the entire film. He only takes punches. The only thing he ever does is swing. Uh, and the I chair. think yeah. that the chair swing is so that he actually doesn't like throw a punch. Throw a punch because he's not a fighter. They, I think that they knew that they could get away with that. Because they wanted to make him a man of nonviolence, but then they had to rectify scene wise. Well, because, yeah. Him anticipating a punch. And right. So they chose a chair. Spoiler alert uh, he decides on principle over having a soul because right. one of his final lines is, What heart? And he does kill someone. We'll get to the, but like, yeah, he takes one life in the film and it's that moment that where he, you're like, oh, his soul is damned. Yeah. And that's, would, it would lose its punch if he had been like an action hero up to that point. Which surprisingly makes him a better gangster because now he's willing to kill people. Yeah. Instead of being like this puppeteer. Uh, But that action is what makes the actual end of the film where he walks away from uh, from Al- the job Albert itself, Finney. yeah. And he's just like, I'm going I'm to another city. Like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So he's actually, in, at his heart, he's not a good man, mm-hmm. but he does not have the stomach to be a bad man. So I would say, to keep people on track, there is an A-plot and a B-plot in this film, but they're right. both 
the film stays very close to Tommy. They're both goals of his. His main goal is this overarching gang war and somehow helping Leo end up on top or limiting the amount of devastation that is done to Leo's organization. His B plot is, which we need to make a point of, he's a terrible gambler. It's a B plot so that will he, be strong throughout. And Leo multiple times tried to says like, I'll settle your debts. It's another part of his principle. Leo says... Are you crazy? I'm the Godfather. All I essentially, you know, I'm like the Godfather from Godfather. And everyone knows who you are. If you told this low-level bookie, just forgive my 35 grand or Leo will cover it, I would cover it. That's one of the perks of being in the mafia. And he's like, No, I don't want your charity. You know, like <laughs> that's not how I roll. That's not my principle. I made the bet, I'll pay the bet back. Mm-hmm. So there's this guy who keeps sending goons to say, like, please don't make us break your legs. Can't Leo just cover it? And he's like, I'll pay back. And he goes, another bet in the fifth on this. And they go, don't do it, man. It's not going to like, like, I got to do it. So he has 500. He's on the worst streak of his life. And that's a B plot that comes up throughout. Um, I think we should highlight, not really go into because it's pedagogy, but highlight that the major like symbolic tropes are his heart. People constantly mention his heart and Hats. hats. Yeah, And if you've ever listened to the great history podcast, The Dollop, they have proven many times over, there are times in American history where hats are the most important. That's like your most important They're thing They're a you symbol own. of status. They're a symbol we'll talk of about status, yeah. of class, of everything, yeah. To be continued. All right, so uh, where are we? He's in the warehouse. He hits the guy with the chair, and the funny part is the guy he hits. <laughs> who's a goon who's coming to beat They all know up. each other, so they're like friends kind of, but it was like, I got to beat you down. Sorry, yeah. man. And he's offended that he hit him with the chair. He's like, Jesus. Like, just take the beating, just man. Just take the beating, exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. Why do you have to come at me with the chair? So then before he can get beat too bad, though, the cops rush in because currently, and this is important because it's going to change, Leo owns the mayor's office and the police force. So they are totally compromised by that mob and they work for that mob. So they come in and beat the shit out of the guys that were beating the shit out of him and just let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, later we will see as Casper gains influence, it's a great technique. There's an identical shot. The A shot is one time in Leo's office, you see him having cigars with the mayor and the chief of police and they're all smiley and buddy buddy with this mobster. At the mirror image point in the third act, you go into Casper's office, and in an identical shot, they're there now. Yeah. And Tommy's like, weird to see you guys here. And they're like, oh, Casper's always been a pillar of the community. And that symmetry does (laughs) not change, like, because I also want to point out the two attacks on the street where Tommy goes and he drinks a bottle and he throws it away. And then he gets a, the, in act three, he gets a glass from the uh, chief of police. Mm -hmm. Um, they uh, w- basically what it is is that it's two different sides of like essentially the same street like it's not the same location but it's like this everything's screen direction left to right in the first one and then everything's a mirror image and right to left on the second down to who's over whose shoulder uh, which in the second case, uh, Sam Raimi plays one of the gangsters who uh, yep. just shoots and then dies. Look for that Sam Raimi cameo. Yeah. And in fact, he plays like the worst cop ever. Yeah. He's, uh, they ca- they just, yell, hey, 
okay, we're going to stop shooting, but you yeah. guys got to come out with your hands up. And bang, a guy bang, comes bang, bang, bang. out with his hands empty, waving a white flag. Sam Raimi looks at the other cops like, get a load of this, steps forward and shoots, shoots that guy him. in and cold blood. And then he blood. gets shot, yeah. And then he immediately gets shot And back, so yeah. the two like uh, street gun battles are punctuated by... Uh, Tommy talking to the chief of police and in both case in they're literally mirror images of themselves. Yes. Meaning. So, okay. So that's twice now when the power changes mirrors. hands, Leo, of course, uses the police to raid Casper's places. Right. And Casper uses the police to raid Leo's places. Right. And in both instances, what Abe is saying, one time the bullets are going from left to right into the plate glass, and yeah. one time it's the same shot, but they're going from right to left into the plate yeah. glass. And it's to ch- And these shots are an hour apart. So yeah. I love that it's not like they're not going, look at this thing we did. You got to remember that. Yeah. And in both sequences, Tommy happens to be out inside. He happens to stumble out and have to take a drink, a conversation with the chief of police. But what I think is illuminating about those pair of scenes is the first time the chief of police, in the first instance, he's nominally loyal to Leo. And the chief of police is bitching about how Leo really shouldn't start this war. It's stupid. He should just let Bernie go. And even though Gabriel Byrne, again, agrees with him we know he does he just told leo that's his advice he like grabs him by the collar and is like how dare you question leo how dare you you betray leo you do whatever the fuck he tells you to do said by judas exactly and then what's funny to me is after he is flipped and he's nominally loyal to casper he comes out and talks to the chief of police and the chief police goes this war is pretty crazy huh i think casper should chill out and he goes yeah, probably. So it's like a clue that he's not truly loyal to Casper. No, he's not. No. He's a betrayer and a non-loyalist in both sides. of. So he's Yojimba. But know? I do think there's clues that this the whole time this was a bromance. Yeah. In his heart yeah, of hearts, yeah, yeah. he was always... He's Leo's man. What's sad is he really does love Verna. Yeah. Like he has the feelings of attraction and love for her, but he never loved her more than he loved Leo. I feel that he would always sacrifice her for Leo. I think you're right about that. I think because he he has convinced himself he's a principled man mm-hmm. and he's not a man with a plan. Right. He's just a principled man and his principle is to follow Leo. The problem is that he also is a man with a plan and wants to run away with Verna and that's antithetical to his what purpose, he thought his, his identity was, yeah. So that's, and so in other words, and which is, I mean, we're skipping right into pedagogy, uh, but that's kind of true about this film because there's not like the story is already laid out. Like I don't, I don't know, but uh, it's 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 insane to me that like the true purpose of I think those scenes and especially of uh, just in general, his inability to resolve his reality, mm-hmm. uh, he can't rectify it, and it's not a plight on him. It's a blight on the people he leaves in his wake. And he gives us very few clues to his interior life. This is a cold character. You don't feel yeah. yourself attaching to him or finding yourself charmed by him. Um, and I think that's because, and that's the question. If, if you're just a machine that accomplishes goals, and this is what they say several times, uh, like Verna, everyone has a different theory. 
Verna says, no, you have a heart. Right. You just put on this cold front, right? That's an obvious theory right, for a guy right. like that. By the end of the movie, he says, no, I really don't think I have a heart inside. Right. And that's the chilling end beat of this is like, oh, that's Which what he found out about he himself. he has said from the beginning, though, like there's a there's a sequence of lines where he tells. So at, also as a kind of C plot mm-hmm. that just comes in. The runner about Mink and the Dane? Uh, Rug Daniels. Oh, right. The politician dies and is shot. And the way they do that is beautiful because the way they physically like the shots are a shot of a kid looking at a dead body and then the dead body breathes and he's like, Oh shit, he's still alive. And then he takes his toupee. He steals his toupee. And then he runs away. And but there's a shot of a dog. Also, as well. the tone of the scene, it's not you can't appreciate it unless you know. It's a beautiful, bright, like dawn morning right. that makes the cobblestones glow. And uh someone off screen is whistling a beautiful jaunty tune throughout the whole sequence. Right. So it's this kid looking at this grotesque dead body on a beautiful morning where you hear someone going like, <laughs> yep, yep. It's such like a weird tone. I loved it. It's such and a, it ends on a shot of like a cute puppy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, but like the, re- so that becomes relevant later because everyone's like, why did they take his toupee? Cause they all are blaming each other for his death. We're when, not going to be able to connect the, every explanation. Which the reality is now. that mink actually shot him because of things that we're going to go on. Other things. But I just wanted yeah. to, to, before we move to sure. that point, just wanted to point out dialogue about Tom and Verna. At one point, Tom arrives at her like vanity, like where she's putting on her makeup. Uh, at the club. At the club. And he says, Rug Daniels is dead. And Verna says, gee, that's tough. And then Tom says, don't get hysterical. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all deadpan. Right. And so he doesn't actually have feelings. Yeah. Like he doesn't have a heart. And you also see in that scene, which is roughly where we are in the flow of diegesis, um, that he he leans on her really hard to give Bernie up. Basically says, come on, let us kill your sister and, or your brother. Yeah. And when she says no, he says, well, you realize then you're just a whore because you're just having sex with Leo. It's so, what I love is the layered complexity of the love emotion. Like this is such a complex love triangle on for everyone because he's like, you're just a whore. And then she's like, then why are you fucking sleeping with me? And he's like, because I love you, kid. And then kisses her in like a forceful way. Right. So violently that she slaps him. Yeah, she But slaps. you know he she means both. Him. He hates her and loves her at the same time, which is mm-hmm. a rare situation to be in. He throws a whiskey glass, destroying her vanity. And there's great lines there. She says, I suppose you think you raised hell. And he says, sister, when I raise hell, you'll know it. You'll know it. Um, So so basically what propels the plot next is he comes home. After all, we, we know all these things. This war is brewing. There's the love triangle. Everything's set up. He's got gambling problems. He comes home one night. And this is a great recurring technique in this film. This film has at least four moments where there's a long, long shot where you think you're just in a room watching a simple transaction. And then it pans over and there's a dude sitting there. They do that like four times in this. Yeah, yeah. So he goes... uh, Usually with the Dane. Yeah. He calmly takes off his jacket, gets undressed for bed, sits on the bed, and then looks off camera in a way where you're like, what is he looking at? And he goes, hey, Bernie... (laughs) Hey, and it pans over and John Turturro's there. And John Turturro this is goes, after yeah. he's supposedly killed him. Hey, Tommy, what's the rumpus? No, no, not yet. Oh. This is the first beat of that. 
he has literally just come by to beg, to say, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you have the ear of the Godfather. Please tell him I'm a good guy. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. You obviously have a bunch of friends who've been coming forward to say you're a good guy. Your sister's vouching for you. And this is one of my favorite aspects. Bernie is basically Loki. Like, Bernie is a solely an agent of fucking chaos. Well, he's, he's always trying to get his. Right, but what I love is he, his sister is risking so much to save his life. He doesn't. Yet behind her back. That doesn't matter. The yeah. way he talks about her is so cruel. Right. Yeah. Like, he says, can you believe she's fucking me and Leo? And he goes, of course I can. She's crazy. You know, she tried to fuck me when I was growing up to make me ungay, to like ungay right, me. Right. And instead of thinking of that as like, wow, that must have been hard for her too, he's like, she's a sick twist, all right. Like, yeah, what a sick fuck she was. Yeah, well, you stick by your family. Well, that's, okay, so that's the lines I love. He goes, he goes on and on. He goes, yeah, she's a freak, man. She tried to fuck me when I was a kid. She's sick. And he goes, well, she speaks very highly of you. Yeah, well, you stick by your family. Yeah, she's a <laughs> sick twist, all right. Yep. Um, so basically, everyone wants to bribe uh, this man of principle to betray his principles. And this is right. Bernie's attempt. He says, I know the bookie Lazaro who you owe all the money to. I can clear the debt if you'll just advise Leo not to kill me or let Casper kill me. And he says, look, Casper already offered to clear the debt. And I said, no, obviously I'm going to say no to you. Uh, it, next is actually the warehouse scene where he gets beat up by Casper. But, oh, right. but the point is, like an old joke, we have two beats of he refuses. He gets another offer. He refuses. He gets an even sweeter offer. He refuses. He's not going to betray Leo. Right. And by the way, at the beginning of the uh, uh, club scene, he meets Mink before he walks into Verna's room. Who's Steve Buscemi. Who's Steve Buscemi. And... Mink is just, it's clear that Mink's up to something. Mink is terrified for his life. Yeah, yeah. And clearly in cahoots with Bernie. Clearly in cahoots with Bernie and clearly aware that he doesn't know how these chips are going to land between Leo and Casper and he doesn't want people to think he was involved with Bernie, but everyone kind of knows. Knows, yeah. And so and he's, he's like, fuck. This is yeah. like a D plot. This movie has lots of levels of plot, yeah. but there's just a couple scenes where Buscemi is coming up and they're always used for great comedic effect. Comes up to Tommy and Tommy basically fucks with him. He goes like, Tommy, you know, I just wanted to say Bernie's a great guy, but you didn't hear that from me. I'm just advising you. I don't think you should kill him or anyone who worked with him. Like, yeah. I don't think what he did was we're so friends, bad. We're friends. We're yeah. friends. And he goes, and you wouldn't, and, uh, and then all Tommy says is something like, I'll make sure to tell Leo what you said about you and Bernie working together. And he goes, oh, no, Jesus, Tommy. Who said that? No, that's, that's not, not Tommy, Jesus. Jesus. Tommy, why would you do that? <laughs> um, but basically... Because of his refusal, Leo's continued to refusal to let Casper kill Bernie because he loves Verna. The war begins. And we already talked about police raids go back and forth. But then finally things come to a head in a scene I would like you to describe because you did the kissy noise about Albert Finney. So you should describe the Mm. most badass thing Albert Finney will ever do on film. Are you talking about his... his The attempt on his life. This is is the act right I love how it starts with the cigar. Yeah, because he's just enjoying a night in front of the fire, you know, having a sherry or something. He's listening to Danny Boy. The pipes are calling on a the phonograph, pipes, the pipes. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, you know, we when we were watching it together, <laughs> we were both like, oh, yeah, they didn't really have like there's not a lot of Irish tunes. It that sucks. You could listen on phonograph at this time. Even the richest mobster so, has shit music. Uh, like, yeah. even though it's just Danny Boy, it's like, yeah, it makes sense that. 
Like, even though it's like uh, kind of a funeral tune. It is. It's played traditionally funerals. So yeah. So foreshadowing. Um, foreshadowing, even though he doesn't die. So. I mean, for all the other folks. In right, this scene. Right. It's just death has crept up on him. Yeah. Uh, what I love about what's painterly about the sequence is that he hears downstairs like a quietness, like an abrupt someone's breaking in. And then he puts out a cigar, puts it in his uh, robe pocket, mm-hmm. and grabs his gun. And, and as then they bla- you see smoke rise from between yeah, the floorboards. Yeah, because they're burning. And he's yeah. like, that's when he knows. He's like, they're trying to kill me. Yeah. And when they bust in, he gets under the bed and shoots them in the feet and then puts one in the brain because you always put one in the brain. Repeated motif is the mobsters have the rule that the whack is not complete till you go up and put one in the brain. Yeah, and so he shoots, which was also uh, referenced in No Country for Old Men, I believe. Same technique. Yeah. It's a real technique. shoot, Shoot the legs, they fall, shoot the brain. They actually, that's part of SWAT training is the double tap technique for under yeah. cars. Yeah. Uh, that's how you get someone who's hiding behind a car. And so a scuffle happens, but what's amazing about Albert Finney is that, uh, and uh, Gabriel, Bur- uh, Gabriel Byrne does it later uh, in the movie. Like, so he like learned He's not it. there in this scene. He learned yeah. it from Leo. Uh, just the idea of like, oh, so there's another one in the house. I'm going to like put all of my fucking cards on the idea that he thinks that I'm still up here and I'm going to just remove the rug right from beneath him. So here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab a fucking Tommy gun, jump out a window and just wait for him to f- inspect my room. Cause he wouldn't think that an old man would yeah. have jumped out of the two story window and just, yeah. And he <laughs> does it with like a fucking a plum. Yeah. A plum. <laughs> and he just shoots him forever. And then... Yeah, Albert Finney. The guy goes, just, looks around like, huh? And Albert Finney just shoots him for like seven and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's just a long... Which is like a thing that I think the Coen brothers were doing. I think it's film. an homage to because classic Because in the Sam Raimi sequence too, it's like just way too many bullets. Which if you watch old gangster movies, when you got hit with a Tommy right, gun, right. I you think, would stay upright for so long going, oh God. I ah. think it's pretty an intentional, like it's comedic to the Coen brothers that yeah. how much they shoot him. Because yeah. the guy gets like, 80 bullets in him, you know? Yeah. Anyway, there's also the getaway car. (laughs) And so they drive around in this, you know, Ford model something. Model T or some shit. And uh, what's amazing is he just keeps shooting. So he's already killed the guy upstairs, but he sees the car going away and he just shoots the shit out of the back of the car, killing the driver Killing everyone, really, right. with his bullets. So the car And crashes the car in. crashes and explodes. <laughs> and then he puts the cigar back into his mouth. And lights it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's just like business as usual for Albert Finney. Right. And he's just so effective, which is what is referenced later, because then the, like, the following scene is I reckon him. I could still trade body blows with exactly. any man in this town. And Gabriel Byrne is just like, why would... But you why know, would you? I told you about yeah. this Bernie thing. Why are you inviting a war and with Casper? You can't take a war. And he's like, fuck you, I can take he's a like, war. He's like, I'm good at he's, fighting. He's kind of Robert Baratheon where yeah. he's like older, but he's still like, don't call me old. I could fucking beat anyone at yeah, war still. I, fuck you. Maybe not you, but I can yeah, beat that's, most Yeah, he them. says that to Tommy to be nice. 
Uh, he goes like, yeah, I could kill anyone, Tommy. Never you, Tommy. Not yeah. you. Which is, yeah, because they have that mutual love. It's a bromance. It's the a movie's bromance. a bromance. It's a bromance. Because Verna's eventually cast aside by Tommy, at least. Right. Gangster bromance. So, uh, of course, this causes a rumpus. Yeah. Another term used in the film a lot. <laughs> uh, Leah or Tommy busts into Leo's office like, what the fuck are we going to do? And Leo's like... What? It was an adventure. Relax. You know, he's not being worried enough to make Tommy feel that he that he's thinking again. Tommy doesn't think Leo thinks enough. Right. Um, Which I I think is also funny because Casper at one point says one thing I always try to teach my boys. Always put one in the brain. Yeah. Which is a bullet. But also it's an idea. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, because that's how Tommy marionettes. Oh, my stretch, the one I don't know if it's intentional, but I got a stretch out of it was the line in this sequence where he says, so he's okay, he wasn't even injured. And he yeah. goes, old man is still an artist with a Thompson. Yeah. And Thompson is also called a Tommy. Tommy so, and his name's Tommy. So yeah. it's like Leo still has you wrapped around his finger. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that a lot. Anyway, in this sequence, totally offhandedly, Tommy finds out that the slug they dug out of Rug is a twenty-two, which is a bullet that is particular to a small kind of gun that Verna has. Right. So as a side note, in his love triangle... It's like triangle, a Derringer uh, single shot. He has even more reason to think that Verna's a phony and just playing him. He loves he her. He thinks that she killed Rug. He thinks she killed Rug. Because uh, Leo put... Rug on her as a tail. Yeah. But of course, in the end, which is great because it's the one plot point that doesn't connect. And I was sitting there typing like, what is this? Even Tommy doesn't There's know. There's a plot hole. And then finally Bernie's at the Bernie's the only one who knows. Uh, Bernie, does, he goes, whatever happened to Rug? Who shot Rug? Oh, Mink shot Rug. Why? I don't, it was a misunderstanding. Yeah. So it's like some shit can just happen. Like he <laughs> yeah. thought he was tilling him. Mink thought and he was Mink tailing him. And Mink is paranoid, him. but it had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. It was a coincidence. Yeah. It was just because... And, he hangs and out Mink with Verna. Had, Mink didn't want anyone to know that he and Bernie were in cahoots. Were lovers also. So, yeah. yeah. So, in other words, uh, he thought he was tailing him to get, like, some... Vig Dirt on, on him. Yeah. Especially but because... But it wasn't even an involved. The thing you need to know about Verna. Mink is... Mink and Dane are in a committed gay relationship. Yeah. And the Dane is Casper's Tommy. The Dane right. is his consigliere. And whereas in the Leo-Tommy situation, Leo's the muscle and Tommy thinks, it's vice versa with Casper. Casper's the man with the plan, and the Dane is basically a scary Anton Chigurh-like monster. Right. Who? Oh, my God. He's and, so good, though, because he's silent for the first half of the right. time he's on screen. Just... He only has talked when they like point at him. He only they, ever talks he to just, Tommy, and all he, he ever says, says is, "That's real funny." That's real you're funny. Real, you're a smart, very guy. smart. Yeah, what you doing at the club, talking things over with Leo? You know, yeah. like he's a perfect detective. Yes, because he's just quiet and asks questions. And of course, he does end up getting, piecing shit together. You're so too he's goddamn not dumb. smart. Like in right. his opinion. The talk is nonsense. But the point is, Mingo, Mink killed Rug because he was afraid that Rug was being sent by the Dane, and then the Dane would find out he's cheating on him. But that's actually not what was happening. Leo had sent Rug to follow Verna. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. But blah. now we have a land war. This is, we have yeah we have a land war in Asia. Yes. Um, okay, so this is the big change in the Leo Tommy relationship because he says. Look, after this, they're obviously coming for blood. This is a full-on land war. You're going to have to be in protection from now on, like moving from place to place every night, checking for car bombs and shit. Um, This is stupid. Break up with 
Verna. And he goes, it's funny you should say that. I had decided to ask her to marry, marry me. me yeah. And he goes, look, Leo, this is hard to say, but Verna's fucking me, okay? So she doesn't care about you. Break up with Verna. And Leo is even still like, oh, that sucks, but I bet we could work through it. Get out, though. But get out, please, for fucking my girlfriend. Walking and, down the hallway. And, yeah, and Tommy's like, yeah, like, you, it's either me or this plan, this crazy plan where you marry Verna and protect Bernie is fucking stupid. Yeah. And he goes, then get out. And he leaves his office. And then Finney comes. Like, Finney takes his jacket off slowly takes his, inside uh, yeah, the office. And he, and he, so there's about 15 seconds of off-screen happening where Albert Finney is like, Thinking. I'm, you know what? I'm mad. You know what? I need to hit him. Yeah. You know what? And then he goes out, and while Gabriel Byrne is walking down the corridor, he just beats the shit out of Tommy. So Leo is now turning against his own consigliere. And he takes it. Like in the way where yeah. if the mob boss starts beating you in the club, you don't you just, fight back. You do not fight back. Yeah. And he, all, he beats him in, like, in a way kind of reminiscent of Raising Arizona. Like, some when he decks him off his feet, he's somehow transported like twenty feet back, yeah. just to so, I guess to show the prowess of fighting of Leo, like that he really is a good fighter. Like, uh, yeah. in addition to yeah, he's fighting a guy who isn't really putting up a fight, but like when he but does punch good. you, he's he's good. And uh, yeah, and it becomes official because it's like someone in the audience is like, I guess he's out of the gang or whatever, and he's like, That's right, it's the kiss off. <laughs> Yeah, it's if, I ever kiss see off. Him, if I ever see him again, it'll be too soon. Yeah. Ah, such good l- language there. Yeah. So kiss off because it's like the kiss of death, but right. it's also like they you know, refreshed I'm, it. I, it's also like I kiss you, though, because I do love you. Yeah. You just you broke my get, heart. You broke my heart. Um, the Coens take old tropes, but they never let them be just tropes. They refresh them in their own unique way. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes every film feel alive. So now and we've now reached he's, the midpoint. Yeah, which, which now is, starts like everything because everything is now coming at Tommy. Like, so the thing we haven't talked about is Lazar. Uh, we have a bit. Uh, That's the guy the he, owes he owes all the gambling debt to. So now everyone in town knows that Leo is not protecting Tommy anymore, and Tommy is a guy who is very effective. So that's why Casper like courts him, but also he's got all these debts that like Lazar knows that he's not going to plan. So now like he's got tails, he's got messengers coming at him to threatening him like throughout the rest of the movie. Vern is still coming at him to ask, why the fuck did you do that? Like, and why'd you tell him? Why'd you ruin my so thing with Tom Leo? So Tom meets up in the Yonjimbo way. He's like, well, now I don't have that protection. So I'm going to go to Casper. And I want to say this now at the, he ends up being in Casper's gang and a series of events unfold in which, as you said, sometimes it's clear that he has the plan in hand and is the manipulator. Sometimes he's responding to events he couldn't have predicted. It does ultimately end in Leo's victory, and at the end, Leo says, I didn't know you were a double agent the whole time. You should have told me. And he accepts that truth. Like, he says, yeah, I was a double agent. But I'm not so sure. Like, I wonder, and the movie I don't think really tells you, at the beginning of his relationship with Casper, do you think he ever really thought, I'm going to be Casper's man now, fuck no, Leo? No, no way. You think like his beating heart is loyalty to Leo at all costs? He's always. trying to fuck Leo. 
uh, because he loves him so much. <laughs> In other words, well, he's, he's trying, trying to, to show him pain because he's like, you didn't do what I said, Leo. He says, if I show you enough pain, so you will give up Bernie you'll and see this my will value. solve your thing. Yeah. But you think I'm going to kill Bernie, but he can't even kill Bernie. Right. Okay. So that's what, so basically Tom, if we accept that as truth, Tommy's goal is to get Bernie killed because that would end the war. Yeah. Um, so he goes to Casper and says, look, I have fresh bruises. Leo threw me out. I'm fucking his fiance. Isn't that enough to prove I'm ready to flip? Mm. And he says, not really. You know what would prove it? Kill Bernie, personally. Take him out. Put yeah. one in his brain. Yeah. And uh, the Dane, important point, never buys his shit. The Dane from Square One is like, Casper, this guy's a double agent. He loves Leo. He's going to mm. fuck us. And from Square One, which is very wise... Tommy is planting seeds in Casper's brain about like, don't you think it could be the Dane is just jealous or maybe he's the double agent? Like yep. things like that. So, There's this weird shit with Mink and Mink works with Bernie. Maybe the Dane is in on it. So Dane's not there for this one. So it's Frankie and Tic Tac. Frankie and Tic Tac. And uh, which are just great gangster names. The gangster names and of this are terrible. Tommy. Mink, Rug, Frankie and Tic Tac. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the Dane. Dane. Yeah. Uh, so they go out and they find, they know where, uh, Bernie is because Mink let that information, which is kind of the peace offering that Tommy gives to Casper is I know exactly. He's in this hotel room. Right. Cause, and actually the Dane's like, no, don't no, no, touch no. Mink. We have to mention, actually, that's one of his key losing his soul moments because Mink didn't slip. Oh yeah. Slip. With Verna. He fucks Verna one last time, and then in the aftermath of making love, he says, by the way, where exactly is Bernie staying? And she says, why do you need to know that? And, she, and he says, yeah. Leo's no longer protecting him because I'm not in his ear and we had a big fight, so I better go there and tell him to split. Yeah. But you know that he just used a woman he loved to kill to her kill own, her own brother. brother. Yeah. And got the information for the killing stroke. And then I love that, I think it's clear in the direction. You can see in her eyes, because they linger on her at the end of the scene, she, she knows, knows that that might be what's going on. Yeah. That it could be either way. You got no yeah. heart, what, you know. She says, you what got heart? a heart, You just it's just so tiny and you can't remember the last time you used it. What heart? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so heart? they go out and in, so at the top of this podcast, the best, the performance I'm alluding to really it, for Totoro is this sequence, which yeah. is they go out into the woods and he pleads for his life. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. a dream. Actually, the, the woods represent something that we were talking about, which we'll get to later, but they go out into the woods Wait, and this is not literally a dream sequence. Just, so it's not a literally confused. a dream sequence. Okay. He just, uh, Tommy has a dream about going out to the woods. Right. And we were going to talk about in later, uh, what the woods means. I, we're going to talk about his dreams in pedagogy. And what hats obviously. mean. Dreams are always hats symbolic woods, clues. Which yeah. are the poster of this movie. Um, but anyway, Tic Tac and Frank, you don't need to see the murder. So they just say, take this gun, go out and shoot him. And then, it's just a monologue of John Turturro. Gabriel Bernie. Byrne does not speak. Doesn't, yeah. It's like a four-minute scene. And <laughs> it's fucking insane. 
this performance because he's just crying. And exactly. it escalates. He Rolodexes every possible tactic, playing it off like, this isn't going to happen. I'm You're gonna not this guy. I'm going to bargain with you then, and we'll get out of this. Oh, my God, you're really doing this? But you you know me. You know me. You, right. you wouldn't be the guy to and do this. And then breaking down to like, look, let's be more honest than we've ever been on, in our lives. We're all mobsters. These guys are animals. But I can see in your eyes, you're not like that. You're, you're, and he's right. And, and I've never killed someone, really. I've ripped a lot of people off. I've never killed someone. Don't you worry, you'll be judged for that. Like, I know you haven't passed that threshold. You don't want to do this. And it just escalates. We cannot do it justice. Watch the sequence. Uh, it ends with, it's he only was given the lines, I'm praying to you, look in your heart. Yeah. And he's allowed to repeat them as long as he wants. He repeats them like 30 times and they're amazing. Yeah, and it's insane. <laughs> so the resolve of this now, is Now, this that- is, I think, very important because he says, look in your heart. And we know that a thesis of the film is, what heart? does this guy have a heart? And this is one of the few times where it's evidence on the other end of the spectrum. Right. He actually, God, I was just... I, I, I'm just a grifter, Tom. I, I'm a nobody, but I'll, I'll tell you what. I've never crossed a friend, Tom. I've, I've never killed anybody. I've never crossed a friend, nor you. I'll bet. We're not like those animals. This is not us. You know, it's just... Well, now they don't have to see it because you did it way better than to throw No, I didn't. <laughs> it's just, uh, he, yeah, he's like praying to him. Yeah. And he's asking him to look in his heart. And then... Tom does this ridiculous thing where he it's another one no of the, reason mm-hmm. if he is a man with principle right or a man with a plan one of those two he does this third thing well this is the whole reason he got to this point this was his whole he goal he wants Bernie to be dead that would solve everything yeah this solves every he he concocted this plan with the punctuation of I'll take the information from Verna. I'll go to Casper. I will kill this. But he looks in the him moment, in the eyes. He can't do it. He's on the ground. Yeah. And he says, get the fuck out of here. You're dead. You're dead. And he goes, I understand. You I'm dead. God bless you. And he back. says, don't God bless me. You're dead. You can't talk. You, you, you can't leave. be here. You're just yeah, gone. Yeah. So he runs away. And I love this crossfade. Because and he does two pops to show. To, to pretend he killed Frankie him. and Tic Tac here. Two guns. Yeah. Um, but also he, well, first of all, it's another one of their pullback reveals because in the first gun pop, it cuts to a chest up Upshot shot of, of Totoro kneeling on the like ground pain, yeah. in pain. And you could easily believe, oh, he shot him in the gut and they're about yeah. to pan down. But then it like takes a long uh, few seconds to realize, oh no, he shot the he ground. He just shot the ground, yeah. And I love that reveal. And then the other just technique technique I love in this sequence is after he runs away, we're on a wide shot of Tommy in profile facing right, and it crossfades such that he is perfectly overlaid on the profile of Tic Tac facing right. right. And it's, it's a very simple thing, but it's just saying he did the thing, yep. and now he's one of them. He's in the gang. Yeah. Like now everything else them. was left to right now it's right to left yeah. right so simple screen direction but it just tells you this works here in their loyalty and he's in the gang and that's true from this point forward Casper starts to rely on him more and more as his trusted consigliere because mm-hmm. he is smart and he successively starts manipulating Casper into trusting Dane yeah. less and less and this is where we start seeing things where uh, you know so you have the right side you have the left side the sinister side uh, this is also mimicked in uh, 
the Dane is always on the right side of frame and Tommy's always on the left side of frame. Go and like go and watch this movie and pay attention to what shoulder uh, and what side of frame, because those are two different things, uh, Tommy is over Leo and Casper. You'll notice that there's a symmetry there as well. And that it's often shot like he's the devil on their shoulder whispering in their Yeah, he's ear. the right-hand yeah. man. Yeah. And then he's Casper's the left-hand, left-hand man because he's giving him bad Because the Dane's advice. the right-hand man. Right. And then they swap. So which later happens. there's a yeah. lot of interplay between that, which is basically just Dane's suspicions escalating because uh, I want to speed things yeah. through diegesis. But all you need to know is it gets to the point where Casper's really wrapped around Tommy's finger. And at the same moment, the Dane says, fuck this. I'm going to do something about it. I know this guy's full of shit. And so what he does is yeah. he grabs Tommy and he says, you're going to take me right now to the woods and show me Bernie's body. Why would it not still be there? Yeah. It's Days later, right. he should be corpsified. And you know it's not. So yet again, incredibly tense wood sequence. Dramatic irony. Your heart is yeah. in your fucking chest. Because you're like, Tom's dead. And Tom stops to throw up. Yeah. And Dane's like, do you see? He's scared. We know the truth now. And then Frankie's like, hey. And well, I like, and the Dane's like, where's Leo now? Huh? Where's Leo now? Yeah, yeah. And someone goes, hey, I found the body. It's over here. And it's one of my favorite moments because as the audience, you are like, you're like, what? Mind fucked. Right. Yeah. A body that looks exactly like John Turturro and is wearing the clothes, clothes he was wearing wore. yeah. is shot through the face, lying in the woods in the same spot. And yeah. you're like, what is going on? Like, how is this possible? Was, was that earlier thing a dream and he actually right. killed him? Like, you don't know. Turns out, as he arrives home and he's shaking as he pours himself a whiskey, yeah. he arrives and Bernie's... At his house. At his house again. Which is so good. First off. First off, he was he came so back. earnest when he said, God bless you. You saved He's my, my life. life. Yeah, I will I, never. I owe you forever. I understand that this means you're a human. You spared my life because you're a human and being. And the only thing Tom asked of him is never come back. And he's back. And not only that, but you know why he came back? He says, you know, I was thinking and I realized you would get in major trouble with Casper if he knew you didn't kill me. Right. So I figure if I stay in town, you pay me $5,000 a week just to keep that information quiet. If I leave town, I got nothing. It's grifting. It's and he goes, betting. But how can you do that after I spared your life? And he goes, what did I say in the woods? You hand me an angle, I got to play it. It's, I'm a machine, that's what did I do. Did you notice the hat work also? Well, I notice, I notice that... Uh, because he's such an outsider in so many ways, Bernie has a crazy weird hat that no one else in the movie has yeah, had anything like. But it's like he's got hat in hand, but he's taking the superior status. Yeah. So yeah. imagine someone sparing your life and you use that to blackmail them for a small sum of money. And <laughs> so Gabriel Byrne is just like <laughs> flabbergasted. I'm like, but he's just get like, the fuck out of here. You fucking grifter. Yeah, you fucking yeah exactly. Grifter. Uh, and, but he has to oh, quote unquote, obey that rule so he right. does and then, uh then I th- doesn't mm-hmm. know where he is no one knows where he is he still hasn't been there but it's revealed that that body is mink's body bernie explains he says yeah. well how the fuck did that happen and so bernie he murdered says, his own 
friend and sometimes lover. Sometimes lover. He's a base and and business partner. He was a bookie so with him. In as schemes. grifty as you can get, and dressed him He's up a bad and guy. put him out in yeah. the woods. What's that's such a plan? Well, what he says like, is, I know that the Dane will want to find me. Well, what he says is, when I got home, because Mink, they were like living together in the same apartment. He says when I got home and told him what happened, Mink was really upset. He didn't think it was a good plan. Uh, and he thought we would get caught, and he especially didn't like when he, when I said I'm going to blackmail you and stay in town. Right. So things got out of hand, and I shot him. And then I thought, hey, I might as might as well have insurance. So I dressed him up in my clothes, shot him again through the face, so you couldn't Which recognize him, and put him in the woods. It's creepy as he hell. He saved Tom's life, right? But by being a fucking by monster. being a monster, yeah. And I think he tells him that. While smiling as a way to see, like, say also, see, I have the guts to kill someone and you don't, so don't fuck with me. So then what happens is, this is great, he leaves the room, he goes like, and I'll see you later, I'll be in touch. And we see, as you said, he uses the same trick Albert Finney uses, and it's clear to us that now he will kill Bernie. Yeah. He will not hesitate a second time. Right. So he grabs his pistol, takes off his shoes so he won't be heard, and like pads down the hall and jumps down the staircase so that he can like beat Bernie to the street. But Bernie's already one step ahead. Bernie's hiding in a closet and yeah. trips him. And like, he trips him and then he says, You don't think I And kicks didn't him in the ribs and bunch and is like, You think I'm a fucking moron? Like you'll never beat me at this. Which makes like Bernie's seriously like as a strategist like as good super as good yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's twice he was like I made a fool out of you and then what's funny is it's very shortly thereafter that Lazar's men come and beat the shit and they're out like Tom. you still don't have the money yeah and you're not affiliated with Leo anymore yeah all right well we got to beat the shit out of you I know okay and they beat the shit out of him and they go like sorry tommy and he goes hey you're doing your job man yeah I, it's uh tom says uh tell lazar no hard feelings and lazar's messenger says jesus tom he knows which is i love this world where you're like extreme violence is part of the punishment but no one means anything by yeah, it no, yeah yeah no no um reminds me of the elvis costello song watching the detectives it's, this whole sequence it's just uh ethics yeah so we get to the climax scene where, um, oh, and that's another thing. Yeah, Casper, in one of their many talks, I love, Casper is explaining, he says, why don't you just double cross the Dane? And he goes, because of ethics. Like he gives yeah. the same speech again. So he has right. these weird ethics. Well, he's also he would plain not... to Casper's, yes. like he's already made it very clear. He's, he thinks he's an ethical man, yeah. which is another w placement for what we're saying about how Tommy is, uh, he thinks of himself as a principled man. They really mean the same thing. They're but his principle is, I can be amoral as long as it, the ends justify the means. Right. Tommy believes that his ends justify the means. Um, so anyway, this, uh, there's all this stuff with Drop, this big dumb guy that's used for comedic effect, but I want to skip ahead to the point where the climactic scene where things start to unravel is, He's walking down the street in the rain. Verna comes one more time and accuses him of having Bernie get killed, and he basically doesn't deny it. And she says, wow, I just really thought you did have a heart, but you obviously you don't. don't. This heart, is, yeah. That's the end of their arc. Then he goes to uh, Casper's office where a bunch of complicated shit is going down with the mayor and the police mm -hmm. force that we're not going to get into. But suffice to say that the tension in that room raises because... 
Dane starts going, I know he's lying to you. I don't care that there was a body there. And then he finds out Mink was killed. And he starts beating the shit out of Tommy, saying, you killed Mink, and I'm going to beat you till you admit it. Tommy has already convinced Casper that he's not the kind of guy who would kill Mink. And he's made Casper suspicious of the Dane. And who's his right hand man? He recently said the Dane is gonna come up with some flimsy excuse to kill me soon. Yeah. We just you which watch. is completely concocted. Yeah, the Dane is totally loyal. The Dane is completely loyal, but the Dane also loved Mink. He truly did. So he used that one. Lo- he's a grifter. It's he right. used that one. But aspect. it's great because Tommy basically like makes eye contact with Casper and is like, "See, I was right." He wins the fight yet again without throwing a punch, mm-hmm. because Casper sits there for a long time thinking and basically decides, I trust Tommy more than the Dane, picks up the shovel from the fireplace and beats the Dane to death with it. Which is ultimately the same struggle of, like, it's a time, like, when Tommy then, is and Yaga. And then he shoots him because he says, you always put one in the brain. Right, right. <laughs> but, like, Tommy's Yago. Like, Tommy is Yago to the vizier in this. Yeah. Right, yeah. And or worm tongue. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, joie... Joy de Vivre. <laughs> Joy de Vivre. Yeah. J-O-I de Vivre. Jack off instructions. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, yeah, like Verna asks, what, what was our affair about? And he says, nothing to me. It was a way to straighten things out with Leo. Whew. Okay. So the final. Giving her the hi-hat. The final leg of his plan, which I think is so brilliant, is the first thing I want to talk about. Uh, in pedagogy, so will Serpentine, Yeah, is uh, now the last remaining domino that he has to defeat is Casper himself, right? Right. Everyone's betrayed, but Casper still has to die. Oh, and Bernie's on his back. So he's got a, he's a man with a plan. So his final plan, the final th- action of his plan is he tells Bernie, meet me in my apartment at 4 a.m. for us to work this shit out. And he tells, he tells Casper, Casper, Bernie's going to so be at my apartment at 4 a.m. Because Bernie, uh, or because Casper knows that Bernie's yeah. alive after the Dane revealed it. He so. arrives at 4.05 a.m. <clears throat> to see what the results were, which I love because he just it takes could a have walk. been either. Yeah. Or both. They could have killed each Who knows? Or they could have es- both escaped each other. And of course, Bernie, because Bernie is very smart, came early. Bernie came, ha- and he says actually, what'd you think would happen if you were a bad man? And he said, I figured you'd kill him. Cause I assumed you'd come early. Yeah. Cause that's your nature. Cause Casper was trusting Bernie is always not trusting. Casper assumed he was going to a meeting at his friend's apartment. Yeah. 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 And he's like, you got my back. Yeah. You know, you helped me with the day. So actually Casper does have ethics in the sense that the people he yes. trusts, he really trusts. And just that's leave why, it out in the open. That's why he can't survive in this world. Yeah. Uh, and same problem with Leo. They don't like all the, and the Dane as right. well. They were like, uh, I opened my mouth and the whole world gets smart. You right. know, like it, it's just the idea of like, there's too many people talking. There's too many friends. Yeah. You just have a friend. Yeah. You don't need to have friends of friends. Also, I don't recall, is it reveal? Did Verna ever shoot someone or someone used her gun to, sh- to sh- uh, like Mink used her gun Mink to kill Mink used Rod? her gun, I think. So yeah. she never actually kills anyone. But no. So the I don't believe so. final bit before the denouement is he says, okay, Bernie, now hand me that gun. 
because I have no reason to want to kill you anymore. Right. Because Casper's dead. And I'll take care of this. I'll take care of the gun, wipe off the fingerprints. And they'll kill and, they killed each other. And yeah. and he goes, like, how do I know you're not gonna shoot me with that gun? And he goes, Because the Dane wouldn't allow it. He's gonna be the new head man. You know how he feels about it. Even though you. he's dead, yeah. Right. So but that's to get him to hand him the gun. And then he goes, Oh, you know what? I just remembered. The Dane is dead, so I have no reason to not kill you. And he does amazingly just taps right back into that energy like a light switch immediately again waterworks i'm praying to you look in your heart and this is the moment where tommy finally admits who he is to himself what heart bullet to the face yep tommy has fallen apart and then plants nothing the gun back and make sure that it looks like they shot each other on this stairwell tommy is only his hat at this point like mm-hmm. that's all he is, is is what his hat represents. And then the final scene is Albert Finney basically They all Leo, meet up at Bernie's funeral. Yeah, and then Leo basically forgiving him and saying, I want you back. Because I didn't realize you were doing this amazing double and agent thing. The film ends on a shot that is at right after Albert Finney walking away and Gabriel Byrne is like Well Gabriel Byrne says, No, no I'm done being I'm in out mafia. of here. Yeah. He's going to Atlantic City or something. I don't yeah. know. Uh he's just gone. And then he puts his hat on. <laughs> yep. So that's a good s- pedagogy. So what do hats mean? Oh, well, before that, because this will be a quick one, and I wanted to serpentine. We just talked about, I think it's so beautiful that this is a man who is a master manipulator, but because it's just a straight-up compulsion, he is a bad gambler. And that doesn't go with being right. He's... His whole life is yep. led by not gambling, but he literally is addicted yeah. to gambling. And the movie, like the fates try to tell him, you will always fail if you gamble. You never win bets. You only win when you have everything in hand. Mm-hmm. Then I love that his final act is to leave it up to fate. The final stage of his plan is a gamble. And mm-hmm. for the first time ever, he wins a bet. So it doesn't matter that Lazar's men beat the shit out of him. The real bet he won is that cat is that Bernie shot Casper, and I so I just love that because for a long time I couldn't figure out what to connect the gambling arc to. Which is so. There's two things I want to mention about that about the Cohen brothers and where they're at in their career at this time mm-hmm. and why that is such a salient character and point at this time. Two things. One. In the middle of writing this, they took a two-week hiatus because they couldn't break it down. Like, they didn't know how to do, quote-unquote, a studio movie. And just apropos of nothing, they or three-week break, and wrote Barton Fink, <laughs> the next thing that we'll talk about in this podcast, uh, which is a film about ri- a writer with writer's block. The Coen brothers turned down a 1989 film that actually... Uh, Burton directed. It's a little known uh, superhero movie called Batman. Oh, they were offered Batman? And they turned it down because it would interfere with this film. So wow. they were these guys who now, like, after Raising Arizona, like, the world's their fucking oyster. Mm-hmm. And they feel a little bit about, like, the studio system giving them the hi-hat and forcing studio films down their throat. And then... 
they finally agree to do one, but on their terms. And they make, so it's like Batman or Miller's Crossing, you know, those common right. two films. So they clearly <laughs> have their sentiment. Uh, and then they can't even write that. And they have to break and yeah. make Barton think a film about someone who can't write. And then come back and finish yeah. Miller's Crossing and then shoot it. Uh, that's why it didn't come out in 1989. It came out in 1990 because they had a prolonged period of not knowing how to break the film right. down, even though it was already an adaptation. Well, he, so, yeah. like, so that, like, to me, Gable Byrne is basically their plight in terms of like, I got, a, I'm a principled man, <laughs> and I, but I also am a man with a plan. I got to, I want to succeed on my own terms, but I do have wants and desires that are going to interfere with that i think like, we'll talk even more about success. that in barton fink because that's like this yeah the but i just think that tensions that they're there. like tight at the hip for me they're kind of twin films because they yeah. were thought of in the similar time yeah yeah um so as far as hats because the cover of this is hat a hat the first shot of it is a fedora blowing away mm -hmm. down the road away from mm -hmm. camera and there are enough shots of hats and mentions of hats that they always, I, I've seen this movie with dumb people and they go, I think the hats meant something. Like, so, you know, it's there. Oh, um, no. I said that. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, the, there's many interpretations to the I'm hats. I'm the dumb guy. One is definitely it's your membership in the club or it's your status in the club. Because right. it means status. When I we think. start with Tommy and he's down in the dumps in the beginning of the movie, the reason, not the reason, but at the same time, his hat got won in the poker game he lost last night. So his first little mini quest we see him do is to try and get his hat back, and it turns out Verna took it. And that's the first time he, that's the first excuse he has to go to his apartment and have mm. sex with her. But at the same time, the symbolism is clear. He was a principled, he was a principled man who was a totally company man and had a totally clear conscience as far as, I've done everything right by Leo, and then Verna took his hat. Like, Verna mm -hmm. makes him feel that he's compromised his status within yeah. the trueness of his identity as a gangster. And Casper getting the hi-hat all the time means yeah. that you, your hat is higher than mine, and it doesn't deserve to be. And Casper, very pointedly, is bald and doesn't wear a hat. Yeah. So he's, like, almost ashamed by, like... Because he has this... Uh, he's definitely overcompensating all the time. That's Finney also doesn't wear a hat. I think that's something Maybe they're so powerful they don't yeah. have to. Yeah. And, of course, Tommy's hat is the one that is the symbolic one, almost 95% yeah. of the time. And there's a, Tom has a line, uh, Verna says, what you chewing over? Tom says, dream I had once. I was walking in the woods. Don't know why. Wind came up and blew me hat off. Yeah. It's just like, um, and then she says, and you chased it, right? You ran and ran and finally caught up to it and picked it up. But then you picked it up and it turned But it wasn't a hat anymore and you changed it into it something else, something, something wonderful. Yeah. He's like, nah, it stayed a hat. And no, I didn't chase it. Nothing more foolish than a man chasing his hat, which is what he is doing okay. the entire movie. So we have the same brain because I think that's the beginning and end and the key to the hats. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you can, here's how I think they deployed it, which is great. The opening shot is a hat blowing away. Mm -hmm. And you're keyed to wonder, why was that your opening shot? When he describes that dream, you realize the opening shot was a shot from that dream. Yeah. Like, literally, it's not a diegetic shot from the action of the film. That opening shot was a reference to the dream he's now describing. And it's and it's on the... The camera's on the ground. It's right. looking like the leaves wisp across. And then, if I remember correctly, it looks up at the, like, 
a vanishing point shot of trees. That's under the opening credits. That's a different shot. Oh, okay. Um, but I want to talk about that next. But it's all but the woods. Just to wrap up the hat thing. Uh, yeah, so that keys you in to realize this dream is important. And then I think when you parse the dream, you're absolutely right that the important point is he feels his identity is running away from him. And she says, well, a normal human being with a heart, anyone would. So you want it back, right? And of course he does, because we see through his actions, that's all he wants. Mm -hmm. But another facet of this dead on the outside person is that he, he thinks it's foolish. That will never be admitted. Yeah. He says, yeah, there's nothing foolish than letting the world know you care about anything or trying to get something. Mm -hmm. Like, because then maybe you won't be in an advantageous position to manipulate things. Like, right. And that's in the same scene where she says, a lie and no heart, Tommy. That's you all over. And... She says, like, we're really bad people at one point. And he goes, like, you think so? And she goes, yeah, Tommy, we're both real heels. Like, yeah. do you not see that? You're, right. we're terrible. <laughs> yeah. So I think the woods, so I think there's a way in which they, like, I don't know if there's a symbolic nature to the woods. Uh, I did have a thought, though, which is that the shot is from the ground. So there's something morbid and, like, death inviting about the shot of a hat being whisked away in the wind kind of in like a Lawrence but don't of Arabia. The shots. No, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying the fact that they both happen in the woods and his dream right. is about woods and he's losing his hat. Um, but I think an important point is under the opening credits, that shot where you're dollying, but the camera's pointed straight up that recurs in the John Turturro in, yes, in the woods. Exactly. I'm sorry, not in the second sequence when Tommy thinks he's going to be killed. Yeah. In other words, I think it's uh, it's the point of view from a grave is what I'm trying to get at. I think that the reason that they put it on the ground is that there's something about looking up when you're thinking about status and hats, you know, uh, looking up towards the heavens and like wishing for a better lot than the one that you have. Like it's a movie about people clawing up. So it's in uh, the woods and from they, the ground towards the heavens. Yeah. And uh, at one point Casper actually says in his, I think his first scene, he's like, if we don't have ethics, what are we? We're just like animals in the jungle. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what uh, this movie is kind of trying to say is that we built ethics and we built these ideas of principles in a way, it's a nihilistic yeah. film once again. Well, and Totoro also says, you just made me realize, you know, you, I can't die in the woods like an animal. Like an animal. like an animal. Yeah. So I think there might also be commentary on, which is a simple level, but it's true, is like, you think the animals are confined to the woods? Look at all these human animals. Exactly. Back in and not only that, yeah. we are still animals just because we have a different... Yeah. Just because we have hats <laughs> uh, <laughs> just does not make us any different from like our base influences, things like love. Things I mean, like they should reshoot hate. this movie with just animals in fedoras as yeah, all yeah, the characters. Just, it's yeah, like yeah, Babe yeah, Pig yeah, in the yeah, City yeah. style. No, 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 yeah. So it would be a director's yeah. fucking dream to just work with only animals. So you mentioned nihilism. That's something I highlighted for pedagogy. Do you? I thought... Uh, when I first saw this, I always thought it's just fun mafia movie and their goals were for it to be fun and tightly plotted and engaging and surprising, right? Now I'm wondering, is it their first nihilist, true, full-on nihilist film? And is it, it's like a stealth nihilism film? Because I do think most people would view it as a Batman. Meaning like at the end, you're just glad he lived. But if you pour through Tommy's story, it's inescapable that it's the story of realizing 
that he's dead inside and nothing matters. <laughs> well, we talked about this on Raising because we were comparing. You think like, Raising's Hud- nihilistic? Yeah, I mean, like we were ta- comparing Hudsucker and this as like it, it's not entire like it's nihilistic in just the way they approach films. Same as Burn After Reading, right? Even though it's there funny, are some yeah. films that yeah you could call nihilist, but like they are nihilistic filmmakers. And by the way, what I mean, and I think we mean by that is that they believe that we our perspective is building order out of chaos there is no order in the world's chaos like that doesn't naturally occur we in our perception like a schrodinger's cat kind of observation uh assume that there's an answer and um that isn't blood simple that's in raising arizona like circumstance gets the better of you sometimes or your plans come to fruition or not but you're kind of powerless that's why i'm so you can excited be the best fucking sure person at the game and still lose that's why i'm so excited to get to head sucker because it's so weirdly different than that right um but yeah i agree i that this is kind of a twin film to burn after reading in the sense that it's saying I'm sorry, the raising is in the sense that they say, you know, nihilism can be funny too. Like it doesn't, nihilism doesn't always have to bring depression. It's sometimes it's tragic and sometimes it's laughable. But I will say when I watch this movie on the surface level, I feel it as a fun, hard driving, constant twists and turns, whodunit, what's going to happen. Oh my God, I'm surprised. When I think about it on the human level, it's a really sad movie. It's quite a tragedy. Which is why I can't wait to get to Big Lebowski because I feel the same way about that movie. That it's a secret tragedy? It's a secret, beautiful, hilarious tragedy. Because Donnie dies? No, uh, (laughs) in a way, yeah. Yeah, but let's save that for later. I'm just saying what you're dropping in terms of like, it's the sleeper kind of Mm -hmm. like meditation on how you can still have all these wants and there's just not going to come out the way you want it, man. And everything has to go through the wash. And sometimes when you mix your reds and your whites, you come out with pinks, you know, like uh, sometimes your goals are antithetical to it. You have, you are an animal because you have an unnecessary urge for self-destruction apparently. Mm. Um, and I think that that's what this movie is about is that he is always taking his hat or putting it on, taking his hat off or putting it back on. Nice. Uh, yeah. Just watch it again. Thinking about when he chooses to take his hat off. It's very important. Literally anytime there's a hat in any frame, it means something. It means something. Right. I mean, the first punch Albert Finney throws knocks his hat off. He's out of the game. Right. He's out yeah. of the game. <laughs> Everything has some kind of punctuation yeah. to it. Verna takes his hat. I think it's how do you do that time. How do you do what that? What do you think? Oh, yeah. How do you do that? I got some loaded up, so. You go. Uh, I just think this is great. Uh, Michael R. Miller was their most frequent editing collaborator at the time mm-hmm. and they do say it's Miller's Crossings just like so it'd be like if we made a movie and it was called like Abe's Road <laughs> you know That's true. Just, it's, Miller's Crossing I don't know why not <laughs> and John Polido who I cannot imagine not being Casper was originally cast as the Dane and it seems so That's perverse so, no it's wrong no. and he, he campaigned to be Casper and I uh, I think he he's steals sweaty the movie. all the time. I there's amazing performances throughout. I think he's the strongest performance in the movie. 
Johnny Polito as Casper. I love it. Uh, John Turturro based his performance on the film's cinematographer. I don't. Barry do you know anything about that movie? What? Oh, based it on the cinematographer. Yeah, like oh. his performance came from how like he was mimicking mannerisms like in his walk and his speech. Well, Barry Sonnenfeld is constantly pleading for his life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit. This is, speaking of Sonnenfeld, this is actually the last one he did cinematography for. So brace yourselves, people. It's Deacon's time, baby. Next next episode, just assume that Abe is constantly erect. You're gonna start having to get used to hearing the words Roger Deakins. <laughs> yeah, uh, because he's my favorite filmmaker. And mine, yeah. Um, Steve Buscemi was cast as Mink LaRue because he could speak faster than anyone else they auditioned. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking And that's amazing because is this Buscemi's first Cohen role? Yeah. I believe, I think so. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm so happy that just his and speed of talking got him on this team because... As we know, he will become one of the MVPs of the Cohen. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. like in the stable. So this is the beginning of a very bright I collaboration. Think, I think this, even though, and once again, budget $14 million, box office $5 million. What uh, a movie in terms of the box office failing mm-hmm. and just jump-starting so many careers. France yeah, Dorman's, it's her first with Totoro. Well, she was in Raising. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I like love, it's just keeping tabs on all the people who are Holly Hunter isn't in this, but yeah. You know. So uh, Tommy checks out McDormand's butt very obviously when she yeah, walks through true. the room. That's true. Uh, uh, she's the secretary of the mayor. Yeah, the line "Jesus Tom" is said eight times, leading to a theory that maybe there's that's a Jesus weird. parallel. Like there's some he's supposed to be Jesus, but I don't get anything out of that when I try to. Connect no, the dots. I don't get because uh, there's no forgiveness in him. Yeah. He's a rage monster when it comes down to it. Oh, by the way, well, we're, I just want to say someone asked, a couple of people have asked if we're covering Crime Wave. I don't think so. We're not going to cover okay. Crime Wave. S- same deal as like Suburbicon, right? I don't need to cover that. No, we want, uh, they penned and directed. That's the deal. 17. The Brothers Brothers have high standards. Oh, the... Uh, we might ca- capture it on frame rate. The version yeah. of Danny Boy in the Epic Tommy Gun sequence was recorded from scratch for the film because it doesn't time out the way the traditional song actually does. It's timed to fit the fight sequence and make it super epic. Super, yeah, because <laughs> it plays, even though it's he jumps out of the record player, it's yeah. play, you know, like the room with the record player, it, it still plays. Uh, uh, this is beautiful, great. Beautiful. In the original draft, on the front page, they did what, what screenwriters do sometimes, they had a bunch of suggested actors for each role. So you want to hear some? Yeah. Uh, Tom Reagan, Tommy, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I'm taking like I'm taking a second to imagine each one. Yeah. Right. Andy Garcia. Yeah. Elias Codius. I don't know. Dylan McDermott. Tom hmm. Sizemore. That would have ruined the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> Sizemore would be a great Dane, though. but a good Dane, but not a good Tommy. Yeah. Verna. Linda Florentino, Marcia Gay Harden, well, that's Laura Semetz. Don't know. Well, Marcia Gay Harden. Well, I know Marcia Gay Harden. Yeah. She made it. Bernie Birnbaum. Let's see. Maybe I'm boring us. Okay, I'm gonna skip to. I'm gonna just find famous people. Oh, Ian Holm might have been Leo. 
Oh, Bilbo Baggins himself as Leo. Oh, that would be cool. He could have been a good I mean, Leo. You can't replace. Oh Finney, my god, dude! But Ian Holm kills it. I just, time. I'm sorry, but actually, as much as I love Albert Finney, I could replace him with one on this list. So the next one, John Mahoney, decent, decent option. Yeah, playing and Faulkner, and he'll be in Barton Fink next. But they considered Richard Jenkins. Oh. Richard Jenkins is a strong Leo. Richard Jenkins. Yeah. Oof. Ooh. Who, what was, was wait, hmm. I got to be wrong about this. Burn After Reading was the first film that... Jenkins is in for them? Yeah. I think it may be. That is... We'll correct ourselves in another episode well, yeah, we'll if we're wrong. A, yeah, if we're wrong, or just point it out and then... Is he in Lady Killers? No, that's Simmons, J.K. No, Simmons. Yeah, that's yeah. J.K. Simmons. Uh, because that is a match made in fucking heaven. Yeah, yeah, totally. Jenkins should be in Cohen, more Cohens. Uh, Eddie Dane, Kevin Spacey. Eh, don't need it. I could kind of see it, but no. And also, side note, Eddie Dane's original name in the I mean, script. Cause like, because Kevin Spacey was good in uh, L.A. Confidential as that kind of like shh, wise guy. Like, yeah, like, but I like. I don't know. He, I'm just. I like I don't know. that he ended up being like a wall of e- yeah. of cold. It doesn't feel Cohen enough. Um, also, Eddie Dane was originally named Blue Point in the script. Don't know why. Well, that's so. Of their original choices, something. only Marsha Gay Harden and John Turturro got the you know the, the people they were going the ones for. They yeah, were going for. Uh, fun fact that I noticed and asked you about. It's really hard, maybe impossible, to tell what city this is supposed to be taking I place in. It's supposed in. to be New York. You think it's New York? Yeah, because I think that the woods are like, like Albany country, you know, and like the downtown. I see. But I, they never explicitly um, say it. IMDb think. points out that one of the only clues you could take is when he says we should pack up and leave. She says, "Where would we go, Vern? Or where would we go, Vern? Niagara Falls, which right. means they're right. probably in New York State, they're so it's probably New York North City. East, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, writing the screenplay, the brothers tentatively titled the film Big Head, which was their nickname for Tommy in the movie. Yeah. The first image they conceived of was that of a black hat coming to rest in a forest clearing, and then a guy with a massive head trying to cram <laughs> into it. No, that's not what it <laughs> just says. This big, just a big head. Then a gust of wind lifts <laughs> it into the air, sending it flying. And what's funny to me is they mention every time they talk about this movie, yeah, that image came to us, and we knew we were going to make this movie. I don't get that connection. I get it. It's amazing. Good. I guess that's all that's important. Because it's nuts that they're like... I can't explain it. Hey, brother. Yes, brother. Filmmaking brother. Hey, brother. By the way, they're touching their peens together. Yeah. Hey, brother. this moment. Yes, filmmaking brother. What about a hat? You mean blowing through trees? Through leaves? That's your movie. (laughs) That's your movie. Yes. We'll call it something crossing. Exactly. Who's editing for us again? Yeah. Uh, shithead? Shithead's Crossing? Big Head's Crossing. So this has been our review of Shithead's Crossing. <laughs> we'll see you next time for Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Barton Fink.
This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!